So during vacation Bible school, there was a song that we learned called the Fruit of the Spirit song. Now, this is a time of year that we pretend like we're kids again, right? This is a time of the message where it doesn't matter how old you are, if you are two years old to 102 years old, you need to pretend like you're a kid again if you're able to. Now, Mr. Wink, you might not be able to, so you get the buy. So. But there's motions to this song, okay? And this is why I need the kids' help, because if, if I was, if the kids were not in here, I would be doing this song all by myself, and you guys would be just looking at me like, what in the world is this crazy guy doing up here? But here are the motions. So you have uh, um, the fruit of the Spirit is not a start off with a coconut, right? And you, this is, sometimes we call this the coconut, then you bong your head and you go, the fruit of the Spirit is not a watermelon, you go, watermelon. Uh, fruit of the Spirit is not a lemon, you kind of go up in your chair and go, lemon. And then the cherry, like a cherry over top of your hands, the ice cream dish, and the, hand, and the cherry like that. And then this is the part that is the, the chorus. If you, are, if you grew up in the 50s and 60s, you may remember this uh, motion. It's called the hand jive. And it goes like this. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. All, all. It's not that slow. It's like this. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Okay? You all got that? Let's stand up. Let's do it. Here we go. Starts off with coconuts. The fruit of the spirit is not a coconut. The fruit of the spirit is not a coconut. You want to be a coconut, you might as well hear it. You can't be a fruit of the spirit, because the fruit is love, joy, peace, peace, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Love, joy, peace, peace, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Oh, the fruit of the spirit is not a banana. The fruit of the spirit is not a banana. You want to be a banana, you might as well hear it. You can't be a fruit of the spirit, because the fruit is love, joy, peace, peace, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Okay, 
it's not a grape. You want to be a grape. You might as well hear it. You can't be a fruit of the spirit, because the fruit is a love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, and gentleness, and so You can have a seat because you are now dismissed for jams. So, thank you for uh, helping us with that song. That's a crazy song, and uh, enjoy that song with singing with uh, the kids with Vacation Bible School. But it is so true because sometimes we start talking about the fruit of the Spirit, and you're thinking, oh, fruit, I know fruit. You know, like uh, apples, oranges, coconuts, bananas, strawberries, and things like that. But that is not exactly what Paul is talking about here in Galatians chapter 5, and we'll talk about that here in a few moments. But we kind of want to, we've been away, last week was the Kids Christmas program, and so we're kind of in this series, the Servants of Salvation series, and if you're looking for traditional Christmas, you want to look at the Christmas story and things like that today, you have to come back tonight. We'll do that tonight. Uh, but this understanding of why Jesus came and, and what's the point of Christmas, what's the point of Easter, and, and what's the point, it was all about this gift of salvation that God has given to us. Several weeks ago, I did an illustration on a thermos and realized that I never finished that illustration, which is uh, when numerous people came up to me and said, so what's the sermon, uh, what's the thermos? Uh, dealing with uh, uh, thing, and I said, "Oh yeah." So then I went back and listened to the, which I usually do. I usually am on Monday. I usually always listen to my own sermons, and I critique myself and make sure that I didn't say anything crazy. And all of a sudden, I got to this part, and I made a joke about my dad taking um, uh, the thermos to work, and then I just moved right on, and that was it. So here's the ending to that 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 illustration. It fits right into where Paul is talking about here. So a thermos is a thermos. It's designed to either keep things warm or keep things cool. That's it. If you're going to hammer, if you have a screw that you're going to want to hammer in, or a screw, if you want to, yeah. If you have a nail, that would be, if you're going to hammer a screw in, good luck on that one. If you have a nail that you're going to hammer in, you're not going to go to your kitchen uh, uh, cupboard and say, hey, where's the thermos? Uh, And then take your thermos and start nailing away. Because a thermos is only designed to keep things hot and to keep things cool. That's it. That's the purpose of it. And that's just how we are in Christ. The understanding that our purpose or we are this new creation, and that's what we've been talking about, what we've learned so far, who we are in Christ. We are righteous. We are justified. We have been made pure before God. We have been reconciled to God. We were enemies of God, but when we came to know Jesus as our Lord and Savior, we are now friends with God. We are these new creations in Christ. Our old sinful life is gone. Our new sinful life is 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 yeah our old sinful life is gone and we have this new life that is that is 
pure before Christ. We are redeemed. God has set us free from the slavery of sin. Just as, and it's the same word, just as God tells the nation of Israel in, in Exodus that I am going to redeem you from Egypt. I'm going to bring you out of the slavery of Egypt. That's our story as for sin. Because of what Jesus has done, He redeems us. He sets us free from the slavery of sin. That's who we are in Christ. Just like that thermos, the purpose of a thermos is to keep things hot and cold. So the thing is that we've been looking at over these past several weeks is, is okay, if this is who we are in Christ, the, then we are to live like that. We are to live like that. And that's what we've been looking at. When a, when a follower of Jesus sins, we have forgiveness. You see, this. not only does Jesus forgive us initially of our sins, but Jesus continually forgives us of our sins, even the sins after we have Jesus as our Lord and Savior. But the thing that happens is this does not mean that we continue to live in a lifestyle of sin. That's what happens so many times. That we think of our this salvation as, oh, it's a get-out-of-jail-free card. You Monopoly. You get thrown in jail. You either have to pay or you pull out this chance card that says, hey, guess what? I don't have to pay anything. I get out of jail. Sometimes that's our mentality of this gift of salvation that God has given to us. That I can do whatever I want to do. It doesn't matter what I do. But again, it goes back to this is who we are in Christ. This is who we are in Christ. And living a lifestyle of sin, as Paul will say here in a few moments, living a lifestyle of sin is incompatible with who we are in Christ. It's like trying to use that thermos as a hammer. It's incompatible. You see, our sin nature, the flesh, depending on what book you read in the New Testament, our sin nature, our old man, as the, new, as the King James will say, has been crucified with Christ. And we have been raised to new life. That's what Paul says. Your old sinful life is gone, is gone, is buried, and you have been crucified. That's what baptism is all about. It's that public expression of this is what happens to me inwardly. I have been died. I have died. My old sinful life is dead. And I've been raised to new life in Christ. And as followers of Jesus... We then become obligated to live for Him. It's not, well, I hope I do. No, this is, you're obligated. This is what you got to do to live a life that is pleasing and honoring to God. Because when a follower of Jesus sins, they are acting out of character. Because again, as a follower of Jesus, this is who we are in Christ. We're righteous. We've been made pure. We've been reconciled to our Heavenly Father where these new creations, our old sinful life, this old sin is dead and gone. We've been set free from sin. And when we sin as believers in Jesus Christ, yes, we have forgiveness, but it, we are acting out of character of who we are. There's a saying, a famous saying that says this, I'm just a sinner saved by grace. And usually when people say that, it's, it's because they want to say, well, well, just 
you know, I, yeah, I screwed up, but I'm just a sinner saved by grace. It doesn't matter how I live because God will forgive me. You realize that this saying is true when you become a follower of Jesus Christ. Yes, you are a sinner saved by grace, but God doesn't leave you there. He gives you that new life and said, now live in it. And that's where we come to Galatians. These characteristics of what does a follower of Jesus look like. I know you've been jumping around a lot. Uh, in this series, looking at different pas- uh, one passage in in First John, one passage in Romans, uh, uh, and we'll continue kind of jumping around a little bit until the new year when we get into this. Uh, I was joking around with the praise team. I, if you haven't noticed, I am not your traditional pastor in any way, especially when it comes to my preaching series and teaching series. If I was a normal pastor, we would not have spent a year and a half in the in the Gospel of Luke. And so, even in this series, we're going to do a mini-series within a series, if you want to say, because we're going to look at the role of the Holy Spirit in our lives, and we're going to look at this conversation that Jesus has in the Gospel of John with His disciples before He goes to the cross, explaining to them the Holy Spirit. But yes, we have been jumping around, and so in order for us to fully understand what's happening here, I kind of have to give you kind of a little overview of of what Paul is, why Paul is writing this letter in the first place. He knows the believers there in Galatia. The the Galatia is a city there in Asia Asia Minor. The people that lived in the city of Galatia are called Galatians, just like the people that live in the United States of America are called Americans. And so that's why we say the, the book of Galatians or the letter to the Galatians. And so Paul knows these people because in his first missionary journey, he goes to them and he teaches them and he, and he starts, uh, if you, there's uh, people that come and respond to the gospel of Jesus. And so then Paul leaves and that's what Paul does. He goes and he sh- shares the gospel of Jesus and as, as uh, believers come together and, and then Paul leaves and goes to the next town. That's, uh, if you want to say, he, he's like that, that missionary of we're going to start something and then leave and then he leaves uh, either Titus or Timothy or some of his other followers as pastors there behind to help develop uh, the, the believers to become maturity. And so as Paul leaves, all of a sudden he hears that this group of believers there in Galatia, that these false teachers have come in. And these false teachers have come in and say, listen, you, yes, Paul explained to you the gospel of Jesus, but he didn't explain everything to you. In order for you to really be a follower of Jesus, you have to follow the Jewish law. You have to be circumcised. You have to become Jewish to truly be a follower of Jesus. Well, in Acts chapter 15, there's a church council that takes place in Jerusalem dealing with this entire topic of a non-Jewish Do they really need to become Jewish before they become a follower of Jesus? And so in Acts chapter 15, they get together and they, and they, they have this conversation at the end of Acts chapter 15. Acts chapter 15, they, at the end, they get to the point and they pretty much say to the Paul, after he explains what he is doing, listen, you are preaching the true gospel of Jesus and, and, and you need to go to the Gentiles and tell them this. We're, we'll go to the, the Jewish people. And, and fantastic. And so then Paul writes this letter in response to that to the church in Galatians to say, do not listen to these false teachers. 
It's not the law that saves you. And as Gentiles, I think we're all Gentiles here, non-Jewish people, we're like, yes! We don't have to follow the dietary laws. We don't have to make sure that our clothes are a certain fabric or that we have tassels on our cloaks or that we, we wear uh, things on our heads for representing God's Word. We can eat hot dogs on July 4th and be okay with that. And so Paul then explains this and, said, and asks them this question. And this is where we get into some of the phrases here where this talks about the Spirit. Paul says, when did you receive the Holy Spirit? When did the Spirit come into your life? Was it when you started following the Old Testament law and all these rules and regulations? Or was it when you became a follower of Jesus and believed in Jesus' death and resurrection? We'll talk about the role of the Holy Spirit next week and get into that more. But when we talk about this section here in Galatians, when Paul is talking about walking and living and, and being in the Spirit, it's, his, it's a similar phraseology that Paul will say, those who are in Christ. Because you, if you are a believer and a follower of Jesus, then you have God's Spirit in you. That is a, one of the signs that the Bible says you are a follower of Jesus. And so Paul begins here, after he talks about this freedom that we have in Christ, and we don't have to follow uh, all these the, the laws and regulations. He then, in verse 13, starts off and says, Brothers, you have been called to be free. In other words, we are free in Christ. We don't have to follow rules and regulations anymore. We don't have to follow the Old Testament law anymore. We are free in Christ. And then Paul says, but do not let your freedom, do not use your freedom to indulge the flesh. And again, there's an outline there in your bulletin. If you're following along, here's the first point. Our freedom in Christ is not to be used to sin. That's what when Paul talks about flesh or the old man. The old sinful nature that has been dead and buried and crucified with Christ. Our freedom in Christ. In other words, we don't have to follow these Old Testament laws. We, we, can, it doesn't, we don't have to become Jewish. We, don't, we can be Americans and still be a follower of Jesus Christ. We can live in wherever we want to live and still be a follower of Jesus Christ in that culture. And that's why when you go around the world, and, and historically, the missionary movement has been, has, has been horrible at this because when they go throughout the world and send missionaries, missionaries a lot of times go and say, listen, we got to make churches like the church that's back home. But then the alliance was totally different. We're going to come and we're going to share the gospel of Jesus here in this culture. We're going to have them respond. And then we're going to teach them God's Word. And then they're going to wrestle through, what does it mean? What does it look like to be a Thai Christian? What does it look like to be a Chinese Christian? What does it look like to be uh, a, a, a Christian in Sudan? What does that look like? And you, and you realize this, and even in America you see this. You go to the church here. The, you go to a Spanish-speaking church, totally different. You go to a, a black church, totally different. You go overseas to a house church in China. 
You go overseas to to a church that is is uh, uh, in the, like Kosovo or totally different because it's cultural, and we have the freedom in Christ to do that. But Paul says, "Don't let your freedom lead to sin." Well, I'm free in Christ. Doesn't matter what I do, because I can just go to Jesus and say, "Forgive me." Paul says, "No, no, you can't do that." So Paul goes on and says this. So I say, verse 16, Paul commands and says, you, sorry, Paul commands and says, you are to walk in the Spirit. Again, by the Spirit, in the Spirit, is that understanding, the same understanding of you are to live in Christ, that position that you are in Christ, that you are righteous, you are justified, you are been redeemed, you are to allow who you are in Christ to influence how you live your life. Paul commands his readers to walk in the Spirit. And then he goes throughout, goes on and says, listen, when you walk in the Spirit, when you, you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. That's a little easy to say in the sense of kind of glosses over what the, the Greek and Paul actually saying there. Literally, it says this. So I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will never, ever, ever, ever des- f- gratify the desires of the flesh. But because that's too wordy, our English translations cuts that down to say, you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. See, if we walk in the Spirit, if we walk in, in who we are in Christ, then we will never fulfill the desires of that, the, the flesh or that old man or that old sinful nature. Why? Because Paul goes on and says this, For the flesh or the old sinful nature desires what is contrary to the Spirit. And the Spirit, what is contrary to the flesh. They're incompatible with each other. Our kids... All our kids had a, a toy uh, kind of like this, a shape sorter, where they have these blocks of different shapes, and you had to uh, put them into the holes that the, and find the right uh, holes, and they only fit into uh, the, the, the right uh, hole because of the shapes. But it's interesting watching them because a lot of times they try to do this. They get the shape. And they try to shove it into the wrong hole. And, and sometimes kids get mad and they just start banging on it and like, come on, get in there. Why aren't you going in? Then as parents, you're like, well, listen, that's the wrong shape for the wrong hole. You got to use that. And then eventually they all figure it out. But that's what Paul is saying here is that the flesh desires are totally incompatible with the spirit's desire. Which is why when you look at the Gospel of Jesus, which is why our old sinful nature, our old man, the flesh has to die, has to be buried, has to be crucified. And we get to be raised in new life with Christ because they're incompatible. The desires of the flesh are not the desires of the Spirit or of God. They just don't work. And so Paul then goes on and explains this even a little bit further in verse 19 and he starts talking about fruit here's a tree uh, a fruit tree it's an apple tree how do i know it's an apple tree because there's apples on the tree 
How do you know there's a, it's a banana tree? Because it produces bananas. How do you know there, it's an orange tree? Again, it produces oranges. And as Paul uses this illustration from agriculture to, to help us understand, you know, there's, there's these actions or deeds of the, of the flesh or the old sinful nature, and then there's actions and deeds of the Spirit. They're, they're natural consequences. And that's the thing that Paul, as we go through this, he, what he would tell us today is we don't, as followers of Jesus, we don't have to pray and ask, Lord Jesus, would you allow me to have this more fruit in my life? These are just more naturally things that produce as we follow Jesus Christ. Just like the fruit of the flesh or things that naturally produce as we follow the desires, as people follow desires of the sinful nature. These are just natural things that happen. And if you're following along in your outline, you'll see that I have listed out the fruit of the flesh and the fruit of the Spirit. And they may be a little bit different in the list, especially the fruit of the flesh, or maybe a little bit different than what your translation uses, even what I'll show you up here on the screen. But he says this in verse 19, the acts or the deeds of the flesh, they're, they're obvious. This is not an exhaustive list. This is just kind of probably off top of his head. Boom, 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 boom. The first one is sexual immorality. This is a generic term. The Bible has different terms for sexual immorality. This is a generic term that simply means this, that there is any sexual relationship outside of God's law. Well, what's, God's, what's God's law? What's God's intention of sex? Husband and wife within that marriage relationship, and that's it. Everything else outside of that, sexual immorality. Immorality, or as the NIV says here, impurity. That moral corruption. And why? We don't have to teach our kids to lie. We don't have to teach our kids to misbehave. That moral corruption. Why is it easy for people to lie, to steal, to cheat, without even thinking about it? Because that's the fruit of the flesh. Debauchery, that lack of self-restraint. Idolatry, worshiping anything else rather than God. And so, yeah, sometimes it means literally idols that people are bowing down to, like, like Buddhism. But in America, sometimes we check that box and be like, yeah, I'm not an idol worship. I don't bow down to Buddha. I don't bow down to name it. But if it takes the place of God, then it's an idol. Your job, your possessions, your sports teams can become idols because it takes the place of God. Witchcraft. Again, what's happening is the, you're seeing the NIV and what's happening in your bulletin is I've kind of given you kind of the, the definitions a little bit of the actual Greek words, and so that's what's happening there. Witchcraft means sorcery, magic. Now, this isn't talking about magicians, uh, like the, the, the card tricks and things like that. That's the sleight of hand. This is like, like voodoo magic, tarot cards, looking at the stars and, and trying to predict the future, horoscopes type deal. Hatred, hostility towards another, discord, that you purposely cause rivalries between people. Jealousy. There's actually, it's interesting is there's actually two words here in this list 
that you can translate jealousy in our English Bibles. And this is one of them. It means resentment. That you resent a person so much. Fits of rage. Anger. My kids, uh, not just my kids, I enjoy watching a group on YouTube called Dude Perfect. And they have these, uh, these videos where they come out uh, with trick shots. And then they also do these uh, stereotypes uh, where it's like, and then they say, well, which one are you? And one of them is the rage monster. And that's the idea here where you just get so angry that you just lose your mind and lose control and you are just punching walls and, and, and so forth. That rage. Selfish ambition. That strife. Dissensions. The state of being in a... And again, there's no unity that... that Fraction, opposition with people. Fractions and sex. As I've been thinking about this all week long, it's hard not to look at our federal government and politics, isn't it? Why do the Democrats hate the Republicans? And why do the Republicans hate the Democrats so much? Can't we all just get along? But it could be the simple fact that you have people that are, because they're not believers in Jesus, they're acting like non-believers, and they purposely cause factions, sex, 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 yeah, fractions and discord and hatred towards each other. After that, envy, jealousy, and this is the actual jealousy that you envy somebody so much that you want what they want have. Drunkenness, orgies that that drunkenness of of excessive parting there's two in my mind that come to mind when when you think about this where you think of like mardi, mardi gras spring break where all you, all it is and uh, spring break going down to miami and stuff like that where all it is is let's just party and and get drunk and not worry about what's the consequences that's the mentality of that word orgies and the like and then Paul goes on and says this, the people that live like this, they will not inherit the kingdom of God. Because this lifestyle, this fruit, it's, it's, it's an overflow. This is just naturally producing what's in their heart. And that's this understanding of fruit. This is naturally producing. This is, this is what's in their heart. Yeah, they may say, and some people will say this, I'm a follower of Jesus. Jesus says, look at their life. Look at their actions. If they live like this, Paul says, well, guess what? And then question if they really are a follower. Because if they really are God's follower, there's this change that takes place. And that's what Paul goes on and says this. But the fruit of the Spirit is love. That's agape, unconditional love. That joy. And the joy is different from happiness. Tonight and tomorrow, there's going to be a lot of people that are happy because of stuff that was given to them. But what's going to happen, and parents know this, and grandparents know this, when all of a sudden you give your kids something, and they're excited for probably about like, like maybe an hour, maybe two hours, but, but especially younger kids, they're more excited about the box than they are about the present. 
But then watch your kids or watch your grandkids over this week. All of a sudden that happiness starts to go away. Joy is totally different. Because joy comes down deep inside of us. Where, where because of what Jesus has done, it not, has nothing to do our, with our circumstances. Because of what Jesus has done, we can have joy welling up inside of us. It has nothing to do with our circumstances. That peace. That peace that passes all understanding that, that we have, again, has nothing to do with our circumstances. But we can have peace knowing that, that, that no matter what comes in life, no matter what life may throw at us, no matter what type of suffering or pain we're experiencing, we can have peace that passes all understanding. Why? Because we know our Heavenly Father's in control. And He's sovereign. And He's King. And no matter what we go through, a lot of times He won't take us out of that pain and suffering. But He promises that I will be with you when you go through that pain and suffering. And we can have peace. That patience. That word patience means this. That we're, be, that we're be able to bear up under difficulty, specifically when people come against us and attack us, that we can have patience with them. We don't lose our mind. Kindness. That we're helpful to people. Goodness. That we are thinking of other people. The welfare of other people. Faithfulness. That what we say we will do, that our yeses are yes and our noes are noes. That we are people, men and women of integrity, gentleness, humble, humility, putting others before ourselves. Pride is of the flesh. Humility. So Paul says, in this mindset that we have of, of Philippians chapter 2, this mindset that we need to have of Christ is, is that we need to value others before ourselves because that's what Christ did. We have self-control. We can restrain these desires, these impulses that we have. We can... We don't have to give in to, we're not animals. That's the difference between us and an, humans and animals. Animals, they, if they see, it's like a, a lion. If they see a gazelle, then guess what? That lion cannot control itself. It's going after that gazelle, especially if it's hungry. If you come into the woods with, with, with mother bear and, and there's the baby, you know what? You better get out of the way because mother bear's coming and he, he, she will take you out. The deer will eat your flowers all the time. Why? Because they can't control themselves. They just say, oh, that looks good. It's food. Let's eat. We as human beings can say yes and no. And when an evil thought comes into our brain, then we can say, you know what? That is evil. I don't need, to, I don't, that is not godly. I don't need to think about that. Which is what Paul says, take every thought captive. Or, or no, I shouldn't go that way. Or shouldn't desire that. That's not of God. We have that self-control. Paul says these are the characteristics. These are the things that as followers of Jesus, these are the things that will just naturally produce in our lives as we follow, as we walk in the Spirit. Because this is our new nature in Christ. And that's what he goes on and says in verses 24 and 25. Those who belong to Christ have crucified the flesh and his passions and desires. Since we live by the Spirit, well, guess what? We are to keep in step with the Spirit. You see, in Christ, our flesh 
our old sinful nature has been crucified along with its desires and its interests. Therefore, we are to follow the Spirit. Well, how does this play out? I have an old radio, an old radio, to the point where Lucas saw it in my office today, and he said, oh, I didn't realize you still had that thing. It's not a fancy radio. It's just a radio. FM radio, and you can turn it on and and listen to the radio station. But a lot of times with these radios, when you turn it on, this is all you hear. Static. And then there's this other button, the tuning button. And as you turn through, you would think that I would find the station before this. But as you turn through, all of a sudden, you get to a station, and it comes in clear. And there's no more static. In a real sense, that is how our relationship with God is. Well, how does this play out? How do we get to the place where we are walking in step with the Spirit? How do we get to this place where these things, characteristics, naturally are produced in our lives? There's two things. Number one, digging into God's Word. Because God's Word's that standard. That's why we call it the, the historically throughout Scripture or throughout history, church history is called the canon of Scripture. The 66 books of the Bible isn't the canon like the big boom that, that is like Civil War canon. This is the canon of Scripture that means measuring tape, ruler. And what the early church was saying is God's Word, the 66 books in the Bible, is the ruler that we need to be measuring everything, everything with. And if it's in alignment with God's Word, then we keep it. If it's not in alignment with God's Word, then we kick it out. And so digging into God's Word, making sure that we understand and we know what God's rule and what God's ruler is, that's what it's all about. Because then as we live our lives and as we're going from place to place and, and, and listening to things on the radio or, or watching TV, we know when the Holy Spirit comes to us and we, he, he has the tools in our lives because we've hidden God's Word in our hearts, we, we've memorized it, we, 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 we studied it, that then when things come on the screen or, or things are said or we hear things and we know, wait, that's not of God. And the Holy Spirit a lot of times in a still small voice pricks us and says, ooh, Pay attention to that. Don't go there. Don't do that. That's not of me. And cultivating. How do you want how do you how do you learn about a person? You spend time with them. How do you learn about your spouse? Well, when you're you are dating, you spend every waking hour either thinking about them or 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 talking to them on the phone or in person. And you got to know them. Beyond just a casual, hey, how you doing? Good, good. Oh, right, good. You got to know what their tics and what they dislike and what they don't like because you spend time with them. How do we know what God likes and what God doesn't like? Why, how do we know what God's desires are and what, his, and what He really wants us to do by spending time with Him every day? Not just reading one verse here or, not, or there, but spending time with Him in prayer, and talking with Him through His Word. That's how we get our lives in tune with the Spirit. You see, followers of Jesus are to be so in tune with the Spirit that we constantly walk in obedience to God. We get so in tune with God that we know 
This is what God desires. This is what his heartbeat is. And he takes his word and he begins to mold us, begins to make us. And then as we live our lives, we become so in tune with him that all it takes is a little whisper, that still small voice and says, help that person. This is what I want you to do with your life. Go to that person. Encourage him by saying this. We got to get ourselves in tune. Again, this great gift of salvation that God has given to us. Our old sinful life is dead, is crucified, is gone, is buried. We have been raised to new life in Christ. And as we continue, Paul says there's going to be a change that takes place because of this new nature inside of us, because of God's Spirit that dwells inside of us. And as we live our daily lives, things will change. And this fruit of the Spirit of love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control is just something that will start to be produced naturally as we align ourselves, as we walk, as we develop this relationship with God. These things just produce naturally. When you look at these two lists, what list describes you? Do you have that new nature in Christ? The good news is this, today you can say yes to Jesus. You can say, Jesus, I need that new nature. I believe that you are the, my Savior. I confess that I, I have sinned and I repent of that and turn from my sin and I'm turning to you. I believe in what you've done. And He gives you his spirit to empower you to live a life that is pleasing and honoring to him.